This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss the 2013 settlement reached in the Glenda Jimmo versus Kathleen Sebelius class action lawsuit. With me to discuss the topic is the Center for Medicare Advocacy's Margaret Murphy. Margaret, welcome to the program. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Ms. Murphy's bio is posted on the podcast website. On background, under Medicare, beneficiaries are eligible to receive skilled therapeutic services, for example, physical therapy, to maintain their health, functional status, and to reduce complications. More precisely, this means therapy services are allowed even if the therapy will not improve the beneficiary's condition. While there has never been a quote-unquote improvement standard, countless Medicare beneficiaries were routinely denied care absent an expectation of improvement. For this reason, in 2011, the Center for Medicare Advocacy filed a class action suit against the Secretary of DHHS, Kathleen Sebelius, representing the federal government. The lead plaintiff, Glenda Jimmo, was a 78-year-old Vermont resident legally blind with a partially amputated leg due to complications arising from diabetes, who had been denied physical therapy services. The case was ultimately resolved after 11 months of extensive settlement negotiations. Again, with me to discuss the GMO settlement and its outcomes to date is Margaret Murphy. So with that, Margaret, let me ask first, why did the Center for Medicare Advocacy, and I should note along with Vermont Legal Aid, bring the case in 2011, or more specifically, how did Medicare coverage devolve such that skilled therapeutic services were approved only if the Medicare beneficiary's condition would improve? Sure. So, um, David, thanks for having me on and, and having the opportunity to talk about the, the GEMO case. Uh, well, the Senator has been hearing for many years that people who need skilled care were not getting the services that they can't improve. A lot of our clients have chronic conditions. Sometimes they're terminally ill. Um, or, they, you know, they're just, for whatever reason, are not going to ever get better. They're going to decline, and but they still need skilled care. And so the GEMO uh, lawsuit was brought because this law allows people to get skilled care even if they can't improve. And that uh, providers um, in nursing homes, home health care, outpatient therapy, uh, didn't know that because Medicare wasn't enforcing that. They were enforcing and, you know, saying people had to improve. So we brought the lawsuit to enforce the law, saying which says that people can get uh, skilled care to uh, maintain their condition or slow deterioration, um, and, and that's why we brought the lawsuit. I, sh I should also say that it applies not only to therapies, but also to skilled nursing. And so that's, that's a really important uh, part of it. Okay, thank you. Let me, let me ask as the follow-up, how pervasive was the problem or how widely applied was the improvement standard? 
Uh, we would hear from people every week, and it seemed to be getting worse and worse. By the, and we, we tried to work with uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, also known as CMS. We tried to work with Medicare to fix this. And in a way, it was almost like they didn't believe that the law wasn't being followed. And when you get to a point where you can't negotiate, you can't educate, you can't you know bring somebody to to see that there's a problem, sometimes you you have to sue. But it's it's the last re- resort for a place you know an office like ours and Vermont for Vermont Legal Aid. We're small shops with just a few lawyers, and to take on the government in this way is a very big deal. Well, you somewhat implied uh, the answer to my next question, but let me go ahead nevertheless. Why did HHS not act on its own or clarify the fact that there was never an improvement standard rule of thumb, so to speak, in order for Bennies to receive skilled care and, as you added as well, uh, skilled nursing? Or phrased another way, why did uh, HHS deny the existence of an improvement standard? Well, I, I will say, I, I, you know, I would say you'd have to talk to CMS to see why that is. Um, I suspect it had something to do with um, fraud and abuse and waste. And so it's, it's one way to save money if you, you know, can kind of cut somebody off of care and, you know, you don't have to worry whether it's, you know, uh, a waste or a fraud. So it, in a way, it's a, it's a money-saving issue. Um, but, you know, I think there are other ways that the government can get at fraud and, and saving the budget. What we're talking about are people who really need services to stay at home or to, you know, to stay out of the, the hospital. And so these are generally, we're talking about, you know, basic low-intensity care. We're not talking about people who are in intensive care units. And so, you know, I, I can't say why the government doesn't see this as a way to, to reduce costs or, you know, keep people at home and, you know, at a cheaper level of care. But um, I think that's part of what the issue was for the government. And in the, in the lawsuit, Formerly, HHS did deny uh, that this reality existed, and they did know certainly that uh, Glenda Jimmo um, had been denied several times, the last denial from the Medicare Appeals Council. So they were aware that um, these denials were occurring, correct? Yes, and in fact, with, uh, after the lawsuit was settled and we had the agreement, there were people like Mrs. Jimmo who were allowed to put their case back into the system and get a re-review. That was for a limited time period. But even when Mrs. Jimmo put her case back in to be reviewed by the Medic- Medicare Appeals Council, um, it was denied again. And so we had to take her individual case and appeal it to the federal court. Um, and at that point, the government said, you know, no, wait, you know, she, you know, she should have been approved. And, you know, so they went back and they approved her care. But it just gives you um, an example of how ingrained this improvement standard is and how hard it is to get get away from it. That's, I not I had not read that. That's amazing that even though the settlement was reached, she was the named or lead plaintiff, they yet still denied her uh, a subsequent time. Let's go to, let me ask then about how effective CMS has been in beating back the belief, at least, in this improvement standard. So uh, per the settlement agreement, CMS is to or was to update program manuals, conduct educational program, perform claims review to ensure the terms of the settlement agreement were being met. What's your sense of um, CMS's success over the last couple years in doing this work? 
Well, I think it's been mixed. I think there are more people now getting coverage uh, with chronic conditions, uh, so I, I think that's good. But we're still hearing from people. I, in fact, last week I heard from a woman in North Carolina whose husband's in a nursing home. He has Parkinson's. And, uh, you know, she says her nursing home has never heard of the Jamel case. And they've never heard that people can get, um, you know, care in the nursing home if, if they, even if they are not going to improve. So there's still a lot of work to be done. Unfortunately, I was on a call with the government today because we have these periodic ongoing calls to monitor the settlement. And the government has said that it's done all it's going to do on the education campaign. And so the Vermont Legal Aid and the Center for Medicare Advocacy, my office, are considering what our, what our options are next. Um, but it's disappointing that the word hasn't gotten out more. It has gotten out. Things are better, but they're not as good as uh, they could be. I still hear from people every week who, you know, can't convince their provider that they are entitled to Medicare coverage of skilled care. You know, just to make note, I I had a family member who passed away in 2013, and just prior, he was receiving home health uh, therapeutic services, and the provider, this was in the state of Virginia, told me that there was an improvement or an expectation of an improvement and absent that, they could no longer uh, provide the therapeutic services. So personal experience there. Is your center considering uh, any legal action against providers at this point? Um, I, you know, the terms of the settlement really deal with, with Medicare and the government. Um, you know, so right now I can't say that, you know, we have any planned lawsuits against any providers. We did have in June, uh, the John A. Hartford Foundation, um, you know, provided funding for uh, a GMO implementation council. And so the center and Vermont Legal Aid and providers and provider associations all got together and, you know, said, you know, how can we implement this better? Because providers want to provide care. They just, we just, you know, they just need to know that Medicare is going to cover it and pay for it. Um, and so if they don't think that's going to happen, that's a problem. And we did, you know, as part of this ongoing monitoring of the lawsuits, um, CMS just reported to the center last month that, you know, they found that their Medicare contractors had up to a 50% error rate on, on GMO, um, you know, issues. You know, so when somebody, somebody submits a, a provider submits a bill for coverage and the contractor denies it either because someone's not improving or Medicare doesn't pay for, um, care for chronic conditions. So there's still a big error rate at Medicare itself. And, you know, I think that is something that we have to work with the government on um, to fix that. And that's, that's a big project. That's a, that's a lot of work, and that's what we're doing. So let me ask uh, this question. Despite, say, the imperfect uh, implementation of the settlement agreement, are you aware of any evidence uh, that in confirming the coverage decision i.e., again, that skilled services are available to maintain or slow deterioration regardless of the underlying illness, that implementation of the settlement agreement is actually more cost-effective in that assuming Medicare beneficiaries receiving therapeutic services are able to maintain or better maintain their functionality and are uh, avoiding um, complications. Well, I mean, that would... You know, you'd have to go to Medicare and get their statistics. I don't have those statistics. But it would make sense that, you know, people want to be in the lowest cost care setting. They'd rather be at home 
than in a hospital. They'd rather be in a nursing home than a hospital to get rehab so they possibly can go home. Um, so it would make sense, um, you know, that if you were providing uh, wound care at home rather than in a wound care center in a hospital, that that would be less expensive. Um, you know, so that makes common sense, but, um, you know, sometimes that doesn't kind of filter through to the, the big picture. And less... Uh, I will get... Uh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and likely certainly less subject to uh, infections if they stayed out of a treatment center. Right. And as, as an example, we had a client who was part of a lawsuit initially, and she had been in the hospital because she had wounds on her back. She was paralyzed and, and used a wheelchair, and she had to go to the hospital for skin grafts. And before she went to the hospital, she was getting wound care at home, and she was getting physical therapy. Well, when she tried to go back home from the hospital, her home health agency said, oh, these wounds are never going to heal, or they're going to be slow healing so, you know, we can't take you back as a patient for home health care. So she had to stay in the hospital. She had to stay in the nursing home longer. Um, but, she, you know, she wanted to go home, and she couldn't. She never, the lawsuit didn't uh, settle soon enough, so she never got back home. But that, you know, it's with services. So that's, it's just, you know, not only is it a cost issue, it's a huge quality of life issue for our clients, Um and, and like I said, the law says that it's covered, so there's no reason that these, you know, people who need, rely on Medicare shouldn't be able to get the services. And you would think providers knowing, or they should know, obviously, what the law or the provisions are in statute would want to because, obviously, it's reimbursement to them. Right, and generally providers do, like, do prefer Medicare coverage, right? So, you know, you have Medicare coverage is is the primary payer, that's a good source of income for providers. Um, but I think, again, you know, we saw that with the Medicare contractors who were denying close to 50% still on, on GMO-type issues. If the provider doesn't think they're going to get paid, if they're going to be left holding the bag for these services that they provided, they're going to be very reluctant to believe that Medicare has changed its ways and is going to pay for care for somebody who needs it to slow deterioration or to maintain their condition. That's a big problem. Let me, um, before I ask you the impossible question, what subsequent efforts can be made, let me ask you, why is this, I find it remarkable that this decision or this issue has received so little attention. Well, why, why do you, what's your second guess on why that is? Um. I think part of it is that Medicare doesn't want to call attention to it. You know, I think it's it does, you know, require uh, or would allow people to get additional services in nursing homes and home health care, outpatient therapy. And so to the extent that Medicare advertises it, you know, then people will use it more. So I think that's part of the problem, that Medicare doesn't want to provide uh, further education or to, to market it Um I think that's where it comes from. I mean, there's this, this, the Center for Medicare Advocacy and Vermont Legal Aid tell providers that, that they can get paid and that they should give people this coverage. It means a lot less coming from us than it does coming from the mm -hmm. government. You mentioned the John Hartford Foundation, and they're well known for working on issues concerning uh, the elderly, seniors, or Medicare uh, beneficiaries or the aged. What, outside of legal remedy, and CMS taking uh, more of a proactive uh, position on this. What else could be done um, to try and clarify this mistaken understanding or 
provide more confidence that uh, seniors who could benefit from therapy uh, would successfully be able to receive it. Well, the settlement agreement provides, you know, for options, including going back to court, you know, to the judge we had in Vermont. And so we'll have to see what we do. Um, there are foundations out there. Atlantic Philanthropies, which is a foundation that's kind of winding up, provided a lot of funding for our offices to, you know, maintain this litigation. It's a big project for us, and we're, you know, nonprofits, and, you know, we're it's a class action, but we don't get the same kind of fees that, you know, a private class action would get. So it's really important for our funding that, you know, Atlantic Philanthropies and the John A. Harper Foundation, you know, helped us out with this advocacy because it's really an access to healthcare issue for seniors and people who are disabled and rely on Medicare. So we'll have to see where we go. Um, next, we've been working with the government. As you said, the lawsuit was filed in 2011. It was settled in 2013. And here we are in 2015, you know, almost into 2016, still working on implementing it. So, you know, we have options and we're working on that, working, continuing to meet with the government and, you know, bringing cases. And um, I would refer your your listeners to the, our website, which is medicareadvocacy.org. Um, and to, you know, provide it, there's a, a email link on there and they can provide us with their stories. So it's having uh, concrete stories of people who are not getting care is, is another way that, that people can help us get the implementation done. Well, maybe just one out uh, last question. Um, I'm looking for maybe some um, more hope in all this. Is it the case at all that Medicare Advantage plans, uh, I mean, to your knowledge, are they doing a better job? Because, of course, they're paid a per member per month capitated rate. Many uh, Medicare Advantage plans, regardless, I suppose, offer supplemental benefits. But to your knowledge, do they do any better uh, in assuring? Well, one thing I want to make clear to everybody who's out there is that Medicare Advantage plans have to provide the same that traditional Medicare does. Um, what I hear is that that sometimes isn't true, you know, so even on things that are clearly, you know, will be covered by Medicare, for example, for example, uh, tube feedings or intramuscular injections or intravenous, um, you know, medicines, you know, those are skilled nursing care that is absolutely covered by Medicare, Medicare by definition. And so I still hear from people who say Medicare is not covering, um, you know, my, my intramuscular injections, my Medicare Advantage plan is not covering my, my shots uh, because I have a chronic condition and I'm not going to get better. So we see it in both traditional Medicare and with the um, private Medicare plans. Okay, MA plans. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time uh, in discussing this very important uh, settlement issue. And I certainly hope that over the next, say, four additional years, uh, Medicare does a better job in this regard. So thank you again. Thank you for having me. I hope so, too. <laughs> you have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.